Good morning. It's good to see those of you who are here. Here. Open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and they'll get one to you. This is our final study in our series, Tests of Life, through 1 John. And really, we're, we're beginning or we're ending where we left or we began. When we first started this book, we actually started with the passage that we're going to be going over this morning. And it has taken us on a journey to talk about this life, the life that God gives, the life that is connected to who God is. And we've looked at how this life is to be manifest. And let's read starting at verse 13, chapter 5, verse 13. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. As John has been going through, he's wanting us to understand where we are in this relationship to God. And he describes this as the life or eternal life. We've looked at how we can see if this life is within us throughout our series. We talked about how God is light. In other words, he is pure, he is truthful. And if our lives are postured in that way, then it is evidence that we are heading in the right direction. We talked about that God has given us a life of intent, of moral purpose, and that we have to recognize our condition we looked and saw that sin is not a problem for God to deal with, but denial is. He said, in fact, that if you say that you don't have sin, you're a liar. The truth isn't in you. But if you confess your sin, and we talked about sin being that life and intent that God has for us, and us not reaching that life, if we confess that we are inadequate, then he is faithful to meet our inadequacies and cleanse us from any unrighteousness. And so our lives have purpose, they have intent, they're supposed to have that direction, and we are to see ourselves moving in that direction. That is evidence that this life is in us. We saw that this life also identifies, that we walk as he walks, that there is supposed to be an identification that as he is, so are we to be in this world, that people are to mark us because of how we live, because they can see the life of God within us. We also talked how this is a life that is postured towards love. It's not of this world. It's not living a life that is disconnected from God, but it is acknowledging God and God's love for us. And so that love extends towards other people. These are all evidences of this life, that this life is in us. And, and John, as he's ending this, he wants us to know, you need to understand this. He repeats it over and over again that this is the life. It's the same thing he did in the gospel. In the Gospel of John, in chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, as he's ending his Gospel, he, he says something very similar. He says, But Jesus did many other miracles, signs in the presence of disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, 
and that by, by believing, you may have life in his name. And so he wrote the gospel of John so that we might believe in this life. And then he writes the epistle so that we might know if we are indeed in this life. He wants us to know what this life is, who this life is. It is in Jesus. And he wants us to know, is that life in you? Is the life of God in you? And he went through a series of tests to see if this life was indeed in us. And then he goes on in his conclusion to help us understand what this life looks like. And as we read, the life is in his son. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have what we ask for him. What does asking things of God and getting the answer have to do with the assurance of eternal life, confidence. If you ever wondered, like, what, what did those two, why would he say this is the confidence we have eternal life because if we ask anything, it's answered. And how do you know? What, what, what do you ask for and what is the will of God? How do we know what the will of God is if we ask anything? Well, this all stems from this life that he's talking about. It stems from the knowledge that this life we have is connected to God. In other words, what you ask comes from the fact that this life is in you. My wife and I are going to be celebrating our 27th year anniversary next month. Woohoo! I know. <laughs> I got married when I was five. Uh, <laughs> and over the years, we've gotten to know each other pretty well. You see, my wife can give me a look and I can know she's upset. No one else in the room will know, but I will know there's going to be a talk when we get home. <laughs> Because over the years, we've really gotten to know each other. This last Friday, we went out to the Lemon Festival, and it was late. She had to work, got off work late. We had wanted to get there earlier. Some things happened, had to take some kids some places. And so we got there just before it was time to close. It was about 10 o'clock. We got our kettle corn, which is really what we wanted. But we were going to also look for dinner, and so we were going to go and see. I was hoping maybe to get some barbecue something or you know, one of those hot dogs wrapped in bacon, something healthy for you. <laughs> and as we're walking down, she mentions, you know, remember that Mexican restaurant? I was like, I don't remember that. And she goes, well, well, let's look over here. And as we go looking over here and everything's kind of closed down, she goes, well, that Mexican restaurant, I think it was over this way. After 26 plus years, I knew that her mentioning something twice meant that she was interested. And so we walked towards the Mexican restaurant because I knew that's what she was interested. She loves Mexican food. We went there, it was closed, ended up going somewhere else. But you see, after the time spent with her, I understood what her will was. She wanted Mexican food. And because of the relationship I have with my wife, through the years, I'm learning, I say learning because I, I don't know all the time, 
anyone who says they know all the time lies. We, we don't know each other completely. We're still a, a work in progress, but I know better now what she desires and what she is wanting than I did 27 years ago because of the relationship I have with her. And you see, when we are in this relationship with God, when the life of God is our life, then the things we ask are connected to the things he desires. Our life and our will are connected to God's desire. And so it's not a matter of, God, I want a Ferrari. God, I want this. God, I want this. It's more like a, a raft that is in the river. The river takes the raft where it is going. Our lives are in the life that God has, and the life that God has is taking us where he is going, and then whatever we ask, we know we are going to get it because it's in his plan for us. It is in his desire. It is in the things that he wants to do. So how do you know what God's will is? You walk with him. You are in communication with him. You have a living relationship with him so that his spirit is at work within you and directs you in those things. And then when you ask, God is saying, yes, that's what I'm doing. Yes, that's what I want to do. And we can ask whatever we want because it is going to be under the umbrella of his will. And this is a confidence that we have. This relationship gives us confidence because now I am interacting with God. It's not something I just go and, and try and appease God by doing certain things like going to church or giving money or whatever it might be. And I'm hoping, God, was that good enough for you? Is, is our relationship okay? Did I do my part so that now you can talk to me? And John is saying, this life envelops you so that you can know and you can walk with and you can talk with and you can have a living relationship with the living God that affects everything you do. So now you have a confidence. Why? Because I woke up this morning and I talked with God. Because I was walking and I was thinking and journeying with God. Because I have this dynamic relationship with God. And it's not like I have to always be praying and talking. I just know he's there and he has his eye on me. You ever see a mother with a little child? I mean, just a little baby, before they can get up and run all around and make you chase them. When they're just sitting there and they're playing with their Cheerios or something, the mom might have just a few minutes of quiet while you know, they're sitting there playing with their food. And the mother is there and she knows the child's there and the child is there and the child knows that the mother's there. And they don't have to talk to each other and say, so what's going on today? I, I, do you know that I'm here? They just know. There's a, a confidence that's there. If mom gets up and leaves the room, baby freaks. Where are you going? Can't talk yet, just screams. Why? Because mom left the room. But as soon as mom is there, there's this comfort just having the assurance that mom's with me. Well, we can have a confident assurance God is with us. Why? Because he's there. When I got up this morning, he ministers to me, he directs me, he, he inspires me. I'm walking, living with him. 
And so this is a confidence that we can have. And this confidence is connected to prayer, and prayer is connected to this life. And then this life next is connected to the concerns of others. In verse 16, he says, If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray, and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. Okay, is that clear? Everyone got that? Good, let's move on. Uh, As John is talking about this life that is connected to God, he also goes into this life that is connected to prayer or a life that has this interaction with God. But we know that God cares about others. God is always postured towards other people. James tells us in James 1.27 that religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. In other words, the the belief system that is a part of what God cares about is one that is postured towards helping and caring for other people. And so John moves as this life is in us to know that this life is in us. We have a dynamic relationship with God, but we also have a concern for our brother. And now this whole idea of of committing a sin that does not lead to death and a sin that leads to death, what is he talking about? He's talking about the fact that, and he's been talking about this throughout the book, that our life in God, or God giving us this life, it becomes our focus. It becomes our path. There is a sin that doesn't lead to death. In other words, there are things that we do that are wrong, but they don't break the relationship that we have with God. And that's what he talked about early on. If anyone says that they have sin or they have no sin, they lie. We all have sin. But we are able to allow God's forgiveness to to come upon our lives and that sin doesn't lead to death. The sin that leads to death is the sin that takes over and becomes the practice, becomes the habit that now separates us from the life And we never reconcile. There is a sin. You see, automatically we like to think of, what's the sin? Is it murder? Is it adultery? What's the sin that leads to death? Is it, you know, some specific sin? But what it is, is it's the relationship being severed. It's that life of intent being broken and us moving away from life itself. that, That leads to death. You know, the idea of practicing sin, living in it. You ever watch some of these people who, who are just incredible at sports? Let's take some of the basketball players. Let's take Kobe. You ever think, oh, man, he's just so great at doing that fallaway jumper. Do you think he just was born to, able to do that? No, he practices He goes out for hours at a time and does that shot, does that shot, does that shot. So when it's game time, he knows he can do that shot because he's practiced. He practices so that he can get better at it. 
the idea here is sometimes things that take us from God become our practice. And we start getting good at those things. And pretty soon our life direction is moved away from life that God gives and it's onto the life that is separated from him. And that becomes our practice. And we get better at it, we get better at it, we become used to it. And that leads to death. When does someone head in that direction? I don't know. We don't know. But you see, when I see my brother sin, that doesn't lead to death. In other words, they're not living a practice and going this direction that I need to pray for them that they might reconcile to this life. So that they get off of this path and back on the path that God has for them. This last six months or so, I have been a part of three different couples' lives that have dealt with separation. Married couples that are are separated or have had struggles. Two of them with an affair, another in another circumstance, one was heading in divorce. Two of them are believers, one of them non-believer. And I've been invited into this situation for counseling purposes, and as I'm talking with them, there is this one couple who are believers in Christ, and there was an affair, and the relationship was headed towards divorce. And one of them was heading in a direction that was apart from the life of God. And you see, John says, you need to pray for that person. And miraculously, that person has changed. One of those people has changed and is now coming back to God. You see, that, that sin did not lead to death. Because we prayed, they changed, they, they refocused, came back to God, and, and now they're connected back to this life. And you see, the life of God cares about people. The life of God is concerned about your brothers who are messing up. Your sisters who are struggling. And so we're to pray for them. That is proof that this life of God is in us. It is proof that we are connected to the life of God. And it's proof that this is something that God desires to do. He says all wrongdoing is sin. But not all wrongdoing leads to separation from God for eternity. Not all wrongdoing leads to this death. Because we all do wrong. But we need to understand that God wants to bring us back. That's been his conversation throughout this book. If we do sin, there's forgiveness through Jesus. If we don't acknowledge that, if we don't live with that, understanding and we move away from that, then that leads to death. And I believe that's what he's talking about. In verse 18, he goes on, he says, we know that anyone born of God does not continue, that word continue is important, to sin. In other words, that's not his practice. He's not postured that direction, not focused that direction. The one who is born of God keeps him safe and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come 
and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, even in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. He is the true God and eternal life. You see, he is our life. And where we head and where we focus, that's where we're headed. That's whether we are focused and headed towards God and the life God gives or separated from that. Outside of this life of God, there is the practice and this world that he talks about and we talked about before is a world that wants to live without acknowledging and recognizing God, a world that wants to live focused on self. And that's kind of, again, reiterating what he talked about in chapter 2, verse 15. We know that we are children of God. The whole world is under the control over the evil one. There's a world that does not concern itself with the things of God, does not see itself as God's creation, does not care to identify with God. That's not us. And you see, what this does is this gives invitation for God to invade our lives. To say that I I belong to you. It's a commitment I have with you because you are my God. I belong to you. You have say in my life. You know that when you enter into a marriage relationship, that other person has a voice in your life, or they're supposed to. So that now my life includes them. So I, I can't just go out with the fellows. You know, hey, it's Friday night, I'm going to go out with the guys. Leave my wife there with the four kids. That wouldn't fly well. Other things would fly. <laughs> at me. Why? Because I've entered this relationship and it has influence on my life. Now there's the dynamic of us. The same thing is true with our relationship with God. Now there is us. And he keeps me from those areas of falling and struggling. He, he keeps me from going in the direction that is not good. And we know that Around us, we are constantly bombarded with things that challenge us in our faith. Things that would challenge what we believe. There is a world around us that is hostile towards our beliefs. And God is keeping us. This relationship is keeping us. Just like our relationship with our friends or our wives or husbands keep us. It keeps us in a a life that we have chosen, a life that we have freely stepped into and said, this is the life I want. I want to be the husband. I want to be the father. I want to put myself in this life, in this position. And the same thing is true with our faith in Christ. I am stepping into this life, choosing this to be my identity. I want the life of God to be my identity of who I am and who he is. And this is something that we are trying to recognize within us so we know that this life is in us. Have you ever had people just 
kind of digress in conversation, kind of like what I just did. <laughs> or, or have you ever had someone call you on the phone and they're in the middle of a, a conversation, but they start off as if you know what they're talking about? They call and they say, hey, we're not going to do that after all. We're going we're gonna to be doing something else. And you're like, Who's we and what are we doing? What, what, I don't, I'm back up because I don't know what you're talking about. It's like they assume what's going on. You know, husbands and wives do this. We all do this. Every now and then my wife will be talking and then she'll just switch gears. You know, we'll be talking about some work on the house. The next thing she's talking about something with the kids and I like get whiplash. Like, wait, hold on. I didn't, you changed subjects and I didn't know. And I was still thinking about the kids and I didn't know, you know, how painting had to do with the kids. I, I just don't, well, it seems that way in this last verse, doesn't it? After all these things, he says, he is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. And then it just ends. It's like, wait. You know, it's almost like he, he left the manuscript on the table and his kid came out there and said, I'm going to write something there. You know, and then John put it in there. It's like, where did this come from? What, what, what's his point here? It seems like he just concludes rather abruptly. But you see, I think... What John is doing here is I think he's using idolatry as a metaphor. I, I think what he's saying, children, keep yourselves from the counterfeit. The counterfeit that will make you think that you have life that is not really life. Keep yourselves from giving your heart to those things do not give life. And we can easily do that. You see, the idea of a counterfeit or an idol is anything that you look to as the source of life apart from God. Who or what shapes your time, shapes your thoughts, shapes your passions, that shapes your action, that becomes your idol, your source of life. And in verse 11, John kind of started this off and he says, and this is the testimony, this is the, the story that we have, that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. And, and it seems very exclusive. And we don't live in a play, world that likes to be exclusive. We like 31 choices. 31 flavors. If you want a lower fat, 21 choices. I'm in the yogurt ice cream area. You know, we, we like that diversity. Or in shoes. We like diversity. What kind of shoes we can buy. How many own a pair of Nikes? How many own a pair of Pumas? A pair of Asics? Adidas? How many own more than one of each or a couple of different brands? Why? Because you're so diverse in your athletics. You just need all these shoes, right? No, we just like choices. There are so many different types 
of pumas. There should not be that many colored shoes in the world, but there are. And we just want to have a little bit of everything, and we think that way. And, and when we hear things like, he who has the sun has life, and he who does not have the sun does not have life, we tend to be a little bit like, oh gosh, that's so exclusive. It's kind of like, I'm right, you're wrong, and that doesn't sit well with most people. You see, but I don't think John is comparing religions here. I don't think John is saying, my way is the right way and your way is the wrong way. I think what John is trying to portray here is that, you know, it's not that I want your ways to be wrong. I am just glad there is one way that is right. I'm just glad that there is a place that you can have and find life. I had a, a lady came up to me, this is about a year ago after one of our gatherings, and she said, well, I really like the talk that you gave, but you know, I, I think you're a little too focused on Jesus, just Jesus. What about other religions? What about, you know, Buddhism? Have you ever thought of maybe talking on some of those things? And I, I shared with her, you know what? This is the only story I have. I have tried other things, but none of them gave me life. And I'd be happy, and I'm serious, I, I don't have the need to be right. Do you? I'd be happy if all ways were just fine. If all roads led to God, I'd be just great. But that's not my experience. My experience is there's only one that gives life. And that's the one that John is talking about. And that's why he's trying so hard to make this point. And him was life, eternal life. He who has the Son has this life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have this life because it's connected to him. And if you're thinking that's too exclusive, you know what? You're free to go and try and find life wherever you want. But I was not able to find it anywhere except in the person of Jesus. And so our posture is keep yourselves from idols. Don't live a life that starts to take you away from the true life that pretty soon you accept as a counterfeit. They did a study in Ann Arbor, Michigan with some teachers a community high school. It was a very artistic school, very experimental in how they did things, very untraditional. They called it Kami High back in the day. And what would happen is they, the teachers that they got to interact with these students were very committed to their education and getting these kids to learn certain things, and they had a, a good GPA, grade point average, but they didn't have, they had a lot of lacks in their attendance and in their structure. Kids would come to school with no shoes if they felt like it. Just kind of a nightmare for some of you teachers. I know you're thinking, oh, no, that's anarchy. That's going to lead to confusion. But the success of these students was doing so well that there was people desiring to get involved with this school. 
Then there came a program where if they could get involved with this program, the school could actually get some money. And so they needed to increase the attendance so that they could see that these kids were actually showing up to class. If they got a higher attendance, then they would get this money. And so they wanted to extend this. And they told the teachers, listen, if you can get the kids to show up in class more often, we will give you a 23% bonus. In other words, we'll give you about 23% more of what your entire salary, they're only making like 22000 a year. And we'll give you a good chunk of money as an incentive so that you can now get this money, get these kids into class. And of course, if the kids are in class more, they're going to do better. The teachers then focused on those things. They got the kids in class more. They got their program. They got their money. And then they found out that the GPA level went down. And you're thinking, how could that happen? If they're in class more, how could the their grade point average go down. And what they found out is that the teachers were so focused on getting the money, getting the kids in class, that they failed to think about the teaching. And so the money became the focus instead of the kids learning. And even though they got them into class, that was now their goal and not the learning. And I think what happens or can happen to us, the counterfeit is you need to have this life that is separated from the true life of God and you're not even aware. You, you think you're doing something. You think you're doing the right thing. I, I'm getting the kids to class or I'm getting to church. I'm doing these things that I'm supposed to do. And the counterfeit becomes your reality. And your relationship becomes a religion. And your dynamics becomes dead. And your life connected to God becomes just regulations and rituals. And you don't even realize it. And so I believe John is admonishing us at the very end of this, beware of the counterfeit. That would take and replace the living God. And you would become focused on that, that you would not even recognize what is really life. You know, I like to drink coffee. And I remember when I started drinking good coffee. You know, there's so much good coffee. You know, it comes from Guatemala, or you can get a, a dark roast from Ethiopia. I mean, there's so many good things out there. And when you first drink good coffee, it's almost stronger than you're used to. It's almost a little bitter. It, it has this harshness to it because you're not used to good. You're used to... McDonald's. I said it, Ted. You're used to the other. And you, pretty soon you think that this is the right stuff. This is the good stuff. And I've shared this illustration with, you know, SpaghettiOs. You think that that's really pasta, but then you taste good pasta. Or you drink good coffee and you say, wow, what was I drinking before? That wasn't the real stuff. Beware of idols. Beware of something that is not the real life that God has for us. Keep yourself from those things so that you can know the genuine and that the life of God will be in you 
and live through you so that as you walk and pray, God will speak and answer. You concern yourself for others to help them to stay on the right track. You live a life that is filled and moving with the life of God and guard yourself from the imitation and from the counterfeit. Let's pray. Lord God, this relationship that you desire to have with us is deeper and maybe more invasive than we had thought. Lord, that there really isn't a life apart from that that you have and who you are. And so many times we find ourselves trying to find life apart from you, trying to satisfy our, our, our nature without you. And there is this well of life that we can come to and drink freely anytime. In fact, you tell us in the scriptures, why would you buy food that doesn't satisfy or a drink that doesn't quench our thirst, but you invite us to come freely to drink from you. And find that which we are thirsty for, that which will satisfy our souls. But so many times we neglect that. We are short-sighted. We are easily distracted. We move outside of your view. We, we sin. But Lord, you forgive. You restore. You cleanse. And we once again, like Peter say, where else can we go? You only have the words of eternal life. And so my prayer this morning for us here is that we would find ourselves hungering and thirsting more for you, desiring more of what you desire for us, living lives that are dynamic and alive, connected to you, the source of life, Lives that are postured in prayer, postured towards others and caring for others, reaching out and bringing up those who are struggling. Lord, might we guard ourselves from those things that are counterfeit, from the religion that is not a relationship, from the things that do not satisfy, from the things that will imitate life and fool us into thinking that we are alive when we're not. May we stay focused on you, God. And may you enrich our souls with your presence, with your life. May your holiness invade our lives and change us from the inside out, God. Thank you for being a God who cares, who involves and communicates to us. I pray, Lord, that we would respond that we would open our hearts, our lives to you. That we take these words that John has speaking at the end to heart and put them into practice, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that we too would guard ourselves from idols. In Jesus' name, amen.